Did you just ask me? Do you want to hear the joke about the hot dog or the pencil? Um, tell me the joke about the hot dog. Loudly. The, uh, so what is it, who does a hot dog call when he sees a ghost? Um, ghost mustard. Is it ghost mustard? Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> what, Wait, what's the one about the pencil? Oh, but here's the thing. I did find this broken pencil earlier. Oh. And the joke is that, well, wait. There actually is no point. Uh, there's no point. Okay. Please go play. I just wanted to say this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Miss Linda, do you want to hear a joke? Yeah. Um, what's a kidnapper's favorite shoes? I don't know. White bands. <laughs> White vans. Hi, I'm Melinda Poitras and you're listening to He Said, She Said, The One with Books and Bros. I have given up pretending there will be any sort of sensible, mappable pattern to these episodes. That's not how I roll, or live, or teach. Or exist but I go places and I laugh a lot and learning occurs so it's working out okay so far a beautiful thing happened in my classroom today no it wasn't the telling of those jokes although that was pretty special I discovered my Apple iTunes subscription grants me access to much of focus on the family radio theater the familiar introduction to the line the witch in the wardrobe played and I got teary there are some reasons for this and they will be coming at you in no sensible order first I don't have a lot of childhood memories, so the books that I read, the stories that came alive, the songs I belted into my hairbrush, and the intros to something like the Chronicles of Narnia from Focus on the Family Radio Theater that I listened to over and over and over again, those things are embedded in a deeper part of my brain than anything else. They light up something different. Second, I didn't even want to decorate this classroom. I had zero motivation to do so, but it is the best Narnia-themed classroom I could possibly have imagined, fur coats and all. Sometimes at the end of the day, I lay on the floor to ground myself a minute and I look up at the sparkling snowflakes spinning softly like they're my own personal mobile of <laughs> a grip of peace. It's only fifth grade, but we've done more than math. Here we've laughed and cried, sung and danced. Parents have split up. Parents have gotten back together. Bones have broken and egos have been bruised. Addresses have changed. Feelings have been hurt. Friendship bracelets have been crafted for those who swore they would never speak to each other again. And we survived all of that in the midst of a global pandemic. Here, we have loved each other hard, spoken honest words, and apologized frankly for a lot of mistakes, mostly mine. Here also have we read The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe. I won't soon forget their response to the first chapter as Lucy slips through the coats and into the woods, the way their eyes lit up and they looked around the classroom as they realized they were living in what was described. Lastly, I read to them at the end of the day from my box set of Chronicles of Narnia books. As a girl, I had saved up for what felt like forever to be able to afford them, and we had made the journey in the Nissan Pathfinder through the traffic on the long rutted roads to Challenge Bookshop, where I had clasped the dusty pages to my chest in triumph before we went home. I began reading in the car. I'm still reading. Those books, they still smell a little bit like Ghanaian dirt and pixie dust. From the vault of the Lost WordPress blog, Here are some words about Narnia, Susan in particular. Don't call me Susan. I named my sister. 
It is for this reason, I feel, that my father has spent a lifetime attempting to name her other things and call her something else. This is basically a classic case of severe parental rebellion. His favorite name for her is Susan, and when she was younger, and when she still cared, she would yell it out indignantly, Don't call me Susan! We'll come back to that. Sometimes, I just know things. I'll somehow sense things that aren't in existence yet and be shocked, but not when they turn up. This leaves me knowledgeable at times, thanks to Jehovah, but often confused as to why I've been given a particular piece of information, especially when I cannot at all affect the outcome. I am, as we all are, a work in progress. I met someone once and I could see their future. Crystal clear to me at the very outset of acquaintance were one or two events that flabbergasted most everyone else. What was hidden and almost inconceivable, I knew, believe me or not, I knew. So I prayed and I acted and I spoke accordingly. I did this for a very long time. But for all of the conceivably supernatural vision, there was one thing I could never see. What would happen to me? For all of my so-called knowledge, I never knew that. And there were days in my life where that didn't matter, but slowly and surely, it began to matter very much. So I asked the Lord, I asked him what was to become of me. And he didn't tell me of all the things he has ever said, he wouldn't say the one thing that I thought I needed. I wouldn't have cared what the answer was. I just wanted an answer and he wouldn't give me one. So I slammed on the brakes and the bridge was icy. I totaled more than one car, metaphorically, and I broke more than one bone. It's easy to think that you'll just mess up one thing, but I've never seen a serious accident, now that I think of it, that didn't affect every area of life. Serious injury affects everything. Your relationships, your finances, your job. You never really leave an accident on the highway. I've been wrong to forget in the months of almost physical therapy that I was the one guilty of reckless driving when I shouldn't have been driving at all. On the Caltab Young Adult Podcast, there's a message called, This is a Lamppost. I highly recommend listening to that. It would be from the year 2014 if you're hearing my podcast now and trying to listen to that podcast then. The Kevin friend spoke it and it put the nanny baby to sleep while it woke me up. He refers to his seven-year-old self, which makes me think about how I told my sister of the nightmare where five-year-old Melinda attacks me out of nowhere. Why would she do that? I said. Kendra didn't miss one beat or look up from her book before responding. She's mad because you stopped believing in the magic. And I thought, is that it? Is it because I've stopped singing like Belle and clapping for fairies and looking round river bends and feeling the back of every closet for doors into Narnia? Or is it because those signs are mere symptoms of the fact that I've stopped believing in his working my life for good because I yanked the wheel out of his hands? Have I translated my messing with his masterpiece into his failure in design? This all came to mind as I listened to Kevin talk about Narnia and received this horrific verbal slap in the face that sent me straight reeling. He discussed the Pevensies' return to reality and wondered what it would be like when they arrived home telling tales. Realistic adults would certainly have something to say about that, but it really wouldn't matter in the long run. These kids would know that I stepped on the snow and I walked out and I felt the cold chill and I saw the lamppost for myself. They would have an experience in the reality of that world. You wouldn't be able to tell them that Narnia didn't exist because they had an experience to the contrary. I had a spiritual meltdown of iconic proportions because if you love those books or have read them at all, you know it too. But Susan stopped believing. 
that when it was time to go into new Narnia and live forever, Susan didn't get to go because she wanted what she could see and feel and touch and know because her doubt and her fear and her apprehension about the future trumped her experience in the past. I found the first quiet place possible. (coughs) I didn't cough then. And I knelt on cold tile and sobbed the recommitment straight into the ceramic jacuzzi tub. And when she was younger and when she still cared, she would yell it out indignantly, don't call me Susan. Don't call me Susan. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that often. I needed to read my old books this year. I needed to listen to focus on the family radio theaters line, the witch in the wardrobe during penmanship. I needed to sit on the floor in a classroom decorated like Narnia and watch the Pevensey children slip into the wardrobe and encounter all the wonder in Aslan found there. I needed to hear the sweet child with glasses gasp, Oh, they just said he's not safe, but he's good. Like our bulletin board. Like our bulletin board, yes. And like our savior. And like this life he calls us to, yes, not always safe, but ever good. Let's remember the magic and the one who controls it. Let's believe what he says, that nothing is impossible. Let's acknowledge with our hearts and say with our lips and live with our lives that he is ever and always so, so good. Let's sing like Belle and clap for fairies and look around riverbends and feel the back of every closet. And let's all be better together. You've been listening to He Said, She Said, where whether we actually got around to discussing any books or chatting with any bros or not, we are, now and always, so glad you stopped by to listen. We hope your time here cemented the truth found in the best book ever written and deepened your relationship with a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Thank you for pressing play. Thank you for making space. We'll catch you next week. Same time, same place.